love. It's a motivator like no other. Pastor Ed Taylor explains. Love seems to give you this supernatural energy to accomplish what's on your heart. It gives you this desire like, you know, I don't have much time here. I don't know how I'm going to make this happen, but I'm going to fit it over here. I've got this, this, and this. But, you know, this is on my heart. And because I love this person, because I love God, I'm going to stop and help someone. I'm going to stop and and express myself to them because love, you know, guilt is not a good motivator. Neither is self-righteousness. It's love that God uses as the glue to keep the family of God together. This is amazing grace. It's been well said that love is the tie that binds, and it's the spiritual lubrication that keeps the machinery of life running smoothly. Oh, the difference love makes, as we'll hear today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll meet you in Chapter 10 of Romans, and it's there that we'll hear of what happens without love and the difference that love makes. But first, Pastor Ed will pick up today's lesson in Matthew 15 and verse 9. He says, notice, in vain, verse 9, they worship me. It's empty. It's empty worship when our hearts aren't there. And notice, in vanity, they taught doctrines of men. They taught teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. They elevated the traditions of man over the clear teaching of the word. And lest we think it's only them then, it's happening today throughout the church where philosophies of men are filling the pulpit. I don't know how it's possible, but it has become very prevalent in many churches today that they'll even have unbelievers in the pulpit, men and women that don't even love God, somehow trying to represent God, teaching as doctrines, commandments of men. And the knowledge of God has been modified and changed and adjusted and even lost throughout the years. For the Jew, there was no longer a dependence upon God's word, but instead the words of rabbis. And they'd quote the rabbis over and over again. The rabbi so-and-so said this, and rabbi so-and-so said that. And they distanced themselves completely from the word of God. And that's one of the dangers that, that you face and I face every day of our lives. And that is not to be men and women of God's word. To let it soak in, to think that just an hour that we spend an hour and a half invested in our spiritual life is going to sustain you for all seven days, that's not going to happen. You truly and I truly need to have this continual abiding relationship in Jesus Christ, knowing God's word for ourselves. So he says in verse 2, notice, back in Romans chapter 10 now, he says, "I, I bear them witness. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. You can circle that word knowledge right next to it, spiritual understanding. They had knowledge, but it wasn't spiritual understanding. Paul knew from his own experience as a radically zealous Pharisee that most of the Jews of that day were very religious, but not according to spiritual understanding. Very religiously outward, but very distant from God inward. Very much caught up in the outward show and that everyone would conclude godly person, godly man, godly woman, but in their hearts, no connection. Paul knew that. You know why? Because he was there. 
Flip over to Galatians chapter 1. He says it from his own testimony. Look at Galatians. It's to the right. Galatians chapter 1. Prayer is God's heart connected with our heart, and Paul shows us that that's a great place to be. His heart's desire turns into this prayer, and he says, look, it, this is what's happening in their lives. They're, they're zealous for God, but they don't have spiritual understanding. Look at verse 13 of chapter 1 in Galatians. He says, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure, and he tried to destroy it. Now, he did that with the desire to please God. He thought, you know what? I'm so zealous for you, God, that I'll wipe out the church, the very church that you built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, his life and his death and his resurrection. Paul says, my life, I try to destroy the church. And we see that in the book of Acts, on his way to Damascus, ready to kill people in God's name, radically against Jesus. And then he says in verse 14, and I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. You see, he didn't have the spiritual understanding. He didn't really connect with God. He had taken it upon himself to go crusade for God. And in taking it upon himself, not led by God at all, not inspired by God at all, he began to try to tear down the work of God. And that's what will happen in your life when you're zealous without knowledge. That's why it's so important that when we see people commit their lives to Jesus Christ here as we do every week, that the very next step that we do in coming alongside of them is beginning, the discipleship begins immediately. It begins immediately to come alongside and begin to add spiritual understanding to a new believer's life. I know as a new believer, I didn't know anything about the things of God, but it was godly men in my life that walked me through the scriptures that walk me through the practicality of living for God. And so it's not enough just to see people say, but now our responsibility is to come alongside and disciple them and to teach them. The very first thing we'll do with someone is give them a Bible if they don't already have one. Give them some materials and a phone number and connections so that we can continue to walk alongside of you for the long haul. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ or you've been born again in the ministry here in the last six months, the last 12 months, and you're not actively engaged in some kind of discipleship in the church, that is the wrong decision to make. It's not enough here just to receive from the pulpit. It's a great beginning as we go through the Word together. But as you face things, you need people in your life. You can just call them up and say, hey, this is going on in my life. What do I do? What's going on? I've never experienced this before. And there are men and women that are devoted here in this church to walk alongside of you, to help you, to teach you, to pray with you, to point you to the Lord when you can't see in any way how God could be in this, that we're here for you. Zealous without knowledge is very dangerous, and it causes a lot of problems. Sometimes a zealousness without knowledge can be very, very hurtful in the church, right here among us. Whereas I love to be around the zealousness of new believers, zeal for God is not enough. It needs to be tempered and discipleship needs to be, that's the process immediately, that you can grow in God's, as Peter said, you grow in God's grace, yes, and knowledge and understanding. So there's this temper of spiritual understanding of how I live my life. And in the church, those that are zealous without knowledge, well, they can wound other Christians. They can just do so much damage. I don't know what it is, but there are times where within the church we see it happen all the time where 
believers in Jesus Christ, and even unbelievers for that matter, are hurt by what we might call spiritually friendly fire. This zealousness for God. And because you're so zealous for God and no one else is as zealous as you are, you become, well, some spiritual crusader to make sure everybody's like you are. And you begin to condemn people for what they're not doing. You begin to become upset because they're not where you're at. And you start to judge people. You might even gossip about people because you're so zealous for God and nobody's zealous for God like you. And what you're doing, you're hurting people. Stop it. You be zealous unto God and temper that zealousness with knowledge and spiritual understanding. There is no spiritual gift of sin sniffing. You know that, right? So Pastor Ed, God spoke to me in a dream and he said, I'm going to be your right-hand sin sniffer, man. I don't need that. I don't want it. The Holy Spirit moves among his church and he'll root out any type of sin in your life. You know what the Bible says? He says this for you and me. He says, be sure that your sin will find you out. You can be sure of it. It doesn't say that the pastor will find your sin out or some other believer will find your sin out. Sin in your life, believer, cannot reside for very long without completely exploding in your life, some to great destruction, some to small consequences, and everything in between. We don't need your godly critique, and we don't need your godly crusading in your zeal without knowledge. We don't need to spend extra precious time fault-finding and then telling everybody about this guy's problem over here. Did you see how he was dressed? I can't believe a believer dresses like that. Well, what? What are you talking about? Like, what are you so worried about the way they dress? Well, why are you announcing it? Is there like a special dress code for Christians? Is that what it is? Just a, you know, yeah, Christians wear this kind of, you know, what is that all that? Where'd you get that? Where'd that, where'd you pick that up on what scripture, what passage of scripture is like, hey, hey, modesty important, I agree. But you know, the best way to handle modesty is just go, go to that person. You know, if you see a lady, it's better for ladies to go to ladies and men to go to men. You just go around putting, you know, what, what you're wearing, it's, it can stumble people. Did you know it could stumble people? And you think the best in their life because most of the time they have no idea that they could stumble somebody. What? This is just, I'm a, I was a rank unbeliever last week and now I'm saved. I didn't know. I had no idea. So I'm glad you told me. And we don't need that kind of stuff in the church. That's a zeal without knowledge. The knowledge is, is that God, he loves you. That's the spiritual understanding. He loves you as you are. And over time, God is going to begin to minister to your heart. And you're going to learn more about his character and his nature. And your life is going to change very, very, very naturally. And for us as believers, rather than just the finger pointing and all the things that could very easily happen in a zealousness for God. I, I'm just here for God's glory, Ed. I'm just here for God's righteousness, Ed. I'm just here because I'm God's representative. You know what? We're all God's representatives. So which side do you want to turn? Do you want to, do you want to side on the side of being judgmental and critical? Or do you want to come over on this side and say, you know what? I'm going to love these people and I'm going to show them the same grace that God showed me. Which choice do you want? Because I tell you, we want to be known not by well, we don't want to have the reputation in town. You know, Calvary Chapel, the best fault-finding church in town. If you're having a problem finding out how bad your spiritual walk is, you can go to Calvary Chapel and they will tell you. No. They'll hurt you and they'll make you upset. I mean, that, that's not our reputation now and nor would I ever want it to be. You know, Jesus himself said, he says, let them, you know, your disciples, let people know that you're my disciples by your agape for one another your self-sacrificial love for one another. And we help one another in learning 
and gaining spiritual understanding, but let's be known as a congregation, as Christians throughout this city for our love for one another. Here's the thing. When you get your eyes on other people, and that's what you're doing, you know, you're kind of sizing people up, you're measuring them, and you're looking at them, and, and you're kind of looking on the outward, and you're trying to come up with a conclusion in your life. When you have your eyes on everybody, one of two things is going to happen. Number one, when your eyes are on other people, you're going to tend to see people that are much stronger than you, much more advanced than you. They know more about the Bible. They're always praying. They're always seeking the Lord. And you know what's going to happen? Your eyes are on other people. You're going to be very, very discouraged. Like, I'm not a believer like that. I'll never be a believer like that. I couldn't do that. Look at my life. I had a bad week. They had a good week. And even testimony nights will bum you out because your eyes are on other people. And you only tend to see the people that are far ahead of you that are doing much better than you, and you're really discouraged and really beat up over it. Or you either feel like you don't measure up or you begin to feel very superior. Well, look at my walk, man. I'm doing good. I've been around. I have been a believer for two weeks, and look at me. Look how strong I am. Look what I've given up. Look where I... And you begin to look at the people. You're still doing that, and you're still doing that. You call yourself a Christian, and I say, what are you doing that for? No, the Bible tells us very clearly not to have our eyes on other people, but to keep our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. That's where the Jews were, and that's what can happen in our lives when we're zealous without knowledge. Back in Romans now, as we wind up today in chapter 10, in these couple verses, Paul was there. He understood it. Certainly, we've been in places where our words, even though we were very sincere, we had all the right motives. We weren't led by the Holy Spirit, and we did great damage. And they were zealous without knowledge. And here's their problem. Just one thing tripped them up. It says they were ignorant, verse 3, ignorant of God's righteousness. And that was his righteousness through Jesus Christ. They were ignorant of it. It wasn't ignorance like they never heard about it. It wasn't the kind of ignorance like we use that word today, like I just didn't know it. I didn't understand. No, we learned earlier on in Romans chapter, in the beginning in Romans chapter 1-ish, that they suppressed the knowledge that there's an active, I know what you say, but I'm pushing it away kind of attitude. So that kind of ignorance, they were ignorant of God's righteousness. And because they chose to suppress it, it says they sought seeking to establish their own righteousness, which is what we call self-righteousness, and have not submitted to the righteousness of God because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, you can jot this down. We've gone through it in depth in previous studies. But in Galatians chapter 3, we learned that the law had a definite beginning. It was added because of transgressions. And it also had a definite end with the coming of the Messiah. So the law is no longer a means. Well, it never intended to be a means of righteousness. The law came to temper sin. The law came to point people to God, the deliverer, the savior. But somewhere along the way, people began to cling to the law. They began to hold tightly to the law as a means to be saved. And it became offensive to them just to say, you're telling me that Jesus Christ has paid the price for me. He's taken upon all of my sins upon himself and, and I don't need to do anything to receive salvation, that he's done the work and all I need to do is believe in him. Yes, that's what I mean. That's what the Bible teaches. Well, I, 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 I got to do something. I mean, I got to do something. It's amazing what happens among believers is, is you receive the offer of salvation, you receive the gift of salvation, you're born again, and you receive that gift. And then somewhere along the way, you decide, you know, I'm going to work now to keep it. And we start to develop these little lists. And I've got to keep this, and I've got to keep that, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do that. And, and before you know it, you're working your way. Well, your motives aren't even right anymore. Your motives aren't to please the Lord anymore. It's, well, to please yourself. 
to, to have your own self-assurance in the things of God. And I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done this, and God must be pleased with me now. But the Bible says that in Jesus Christ, you are complete. In Jesus Christ, he's your sufficiency. In Jesus Christ, you and I have everything pertaining to life and godliness in him. And what it does is it does, it sends a death blow to the very notion that we can work our ways into a place of God loving us more than someone else or loving us more today than he did yesterday. He loves us supreme. He loves you supremely right now. And what happens is we start, well, we start slacking off when our motive isn't love. Love is the greatest motivator. Did you know that? Love will motivate you anywhere at any time. But when we're motivated by trying to please someone else, we're motivated trying to somehow please God, we're motivated, I just got to get this done, and I, you, 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 get, you start copping attitudes. And you start, you start getting grudging. You start holding a grudge against God. You know, the greatest motive is love. When you love someone, your motive in life is you don't even think about it. You just want to please them. You want to love them. You're looking for ways to please them, to bless them. Not so that you can gain any brownie points, but just because you love them. It wasn't too long ago that I was walking through the store and I decided to grab some flowers for Marie. And so I grabbed some flowers and some other things. I go into the checker and the guy behind me says, hey, guess you're in trouble with the old lady, aren't you? <laughs> and I said, no, praise the Lord, not this time. <laughs> and by the way, she's not an old lady, man. <laughs> I said, no, no, I, there's no motive. I, I, I'm not in trouble. I didn't stick my foot in my mouth this time. I, I'm not trying to win Marie back or win her over for some dumb, stupid thing I've done. I just love my wife. I just want to give her some flowers today. That's it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mr. Nice Guy, I'm sure, yeah. Perfect husband right here <laughs> don't be fooled but when you think through the motive there wasn't anything on my mind I wasn't even thinking that when I went into the store but the Lord just began you know I love my wife I'm just going to bless her today there's nothing no I don't want anything in return because love is a fantastic wonderful motivator you know when we're motivated by love with our savior we're not trying to develop our own set of righteousness we're not trying to piece together. I've done all my, cross all my T's and dot all my I's and here I am. You're not going to slack off. You're not going to be lazy. A lazy person is not obedient to God. Neither is that lazy person motivated by love because love seems to give you this supernatural energy to accomplish what's on your heart. It gives you this desire like, you know, I don't have much time here, but I'm going to use my time for you know, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to make this happen, but I'm going to fit it over here. I've got this, this, and this. But, you know, this is on my heart. And because I love this person, because I love God, I'm going to stop and help someone. I'm going to stop and, and, and express myself to them because love, you know, guilt is not a good motivator. Neither is self-righteousness. It's love that God uses as the glue to keep the family of God together in the good times and in the bad. It's self-sacrificial love that's been demonstrated by our own Heavenly Father. It's amazing because when you get into this works trip in life, you just start working, working, working my whole life. I'm so tired of working, Ed. I'm tired. I've been doing this my whole life. I've got, I've got all this religious work by. I've got all these religious kudos. I've, I'm just, I am the epitome of religion, but I'm so tired. I'm so beat up. I'm so burned out. I'd have to ask you, was all that work motivated by love? Were you doing it because you love God? Because the Bible speaks of a labor of love. 
And you get to that place where, man, I, the years just fly by. I just, man, I just have so much fun in loving God and being available to him. I read an illustration once in a book when the author was talking about pleasing God. And he said something along the lines, hey, what if you spent your whole life, what if you spent your whole life wanting to make God an apple pie? That was your goal in life, going to make a good apple pie. And you're going to search the world for the best apples and the best flour and the best sugar. And you get all the ingredients together. You get the pie tin. It's going to be the best pie tin. I mean, you have spent 80 years traveling the globe because your whole goal in life is to please God because you've heard that he loves apple pies. And if he got a million apple pies, you were going to give him the best one. You wanted him to be most pleased with yours. And so you have traveled and you have worked and you've worked and you've worked and you finally have made that apple pie. You've offered that apple pie. Wouldn't it be a bummer to spend your whole life trying to make God the best apple pie only to find out that his favorite pie is cherry? And Christian, you've worked and you've worked and you've worked and you've traveled high and low saying, God, I have offered you the best life of work that I could possibly find out. And you know, you don't need to wait to see God face to face to find out that that is not what he's looking for from you. The key, the solution in your life is to abide in Jesus Christ and to be empowered by his spirit. The example of Jesus, well, he was able to say, I have done what the Father has given me to do. The only way you find out what the Father has given you and me to do is to abide in Jesus Christ. And he abides in you. And as he abides in you, by the power of his Holy Spirit, you're empowered with spiritual understanding, with spiritual strength, with a reservoir of love and grace and mercy so that you don't have to seek to strive and strive and strive to please God. You please God today in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ is where you find your strength and your hope and your motivation and your direction in life. Please, friends, do not become like the Jews that Paul is referring to, where you have a zeal, but it's not tempered with spiritual understanding. And because you're so zealous and you haven't taken time for God to disciple you and grow you, well, that you hurt people, that you stumble, that you have gone on this works-oriented lifestyle where, you know, a person that's really into works is always frustrated that nobody else works as hard as they do. It's like, I'm working so hard. Where is everyone else? Well, maybe God hasn't called anyone to come help you. He just wants you to do it. Well, that's not fair. Well, you would have found that out if you were praying that God said, I have this. This is just for you. I'm going to teach you something on your own. I'm not going to surround you with 20 people. I'm going to give you the work of 20 people, but I'm also going to give you the strength and the wisdom of 20 people. Like, oh, that's cool. But see, you go out in your flesh. You not only do the things that God doesn't desire you to do, but you do them in your own strength. And then you fail and you fall on your face. You wonder what's going on. God's just bringing you back. He says, look. What I'm looking from you, I think God would say to us today, is that you abide in my son, Jesus Christ. You trust him. You trust him with your kids. You trust him with your marriage. You trust him with your singleness. You trust him with your resources. You trust God. And as you do, you know what you're going to find? You're going to find his faithfulness day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. You're going to have a lifetime that's going to be marked by the faithfulness of God. And as you do, you're going to be greatly encouraged. Indeed you will. You have God's promise on it. 
You're listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our apps, too. Search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through the website at AboundingGraceRadio.com, then click Contact. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. We're consistently hearing from people that are growing by God's abounding grace as they take in and apply the Word of God. Your gifts help to make that possible. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Chuck Smith's book, Faith. Maybe you've wondered, what is faith? Where does it come from? And how does it work? Pastor Chuck explores those questions and many others that relate to the issue of faith in this helpful book. Request it today when you call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from Romans. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.